So this morning's reading may be found on page 1066 of the Pew Bibles. I'm reading from John's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning at the first verse. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your word. Father, by your spirit, we pray you would illumine our hearts. Father, that you would move amongst us by your spirit. Help us to see the reality of the life that you give us. Help us to see how to put things right. In Jesus' name. Amen. So it's good to be with you and to be continuing in our look at John's Gospel. And um, I have been falling more and more in love with this book. It's, uh, it's wonderfully written. John clearly an eyewitness to so much of what's been going on. And uh, we continue our journey today, a journey where John leads us on revealing, revealing more and more of God's glory in his son Jesus. And just to recap, where we have the first chapter, we see that preparation for that revelation. In chapter 2, we see God's glory being revealed in a domestic setting. And then in Jerusalem, through the confrontation at the temple and other signs and teachings. And then we have John the Baptist's endorsement of Jesus, followed and now in chapter 4 by the glory that is revealed among the despised. Today we study that despised person, and it's the Samaritan woman. And this is one of two occasions involving Samaritans in the New Testament. The first, of course, is the Good Samaritan, a man who helps a Jew who had been attacked and robbed, which, of course, is a fictional story that Jesus made up to teach a very strong point. And the second, of course, is this Samaritan woman who comparatively is a bad Samaritan who has not lived well, but it is a true story of her encounter with Jesus. A complete contrast in so many ways. But it does beg the question, what about these Samaritans? What's the problem? What's going on? What what do we need to understand? Well, I'll give you a bit of background and hopefully that will um, enable us to understand more fully what was going on in this particular story. Religiously, the Samaritans were uh, adherents to uh, uh, what they call Samaritanism, which was based on Abraham's religion, closely related to Judaism. And in, the, in that, they held on to this thing called Samaritan Torah, which is a slightly modified version of the first five books of the Old Testament. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And these Samaritans also claimed that their worship was the true religion of the ancient Israelites prior to the Babylonian exile. And they were preserved by those who remained in the land of Israel. Indeed, it's believed that that they too, that they actually hold the the oldest manuscripts of the Torah, even today. These Israelites 
that were preserved and hid from the Exodus to Babylon intermarried with other local girls from different races. And it's from these mixed marriages, people were produced half caste and half Jew. Intermarriage, of course, was something that God had forbidden for the Israelites. And so when the Jews returned from the, from, returned from exile, the Samaritans were rebuffed and rejected by the Jews. Even to the extent that the Samaritans had their own temple, which was built at Mount Gerizim, one of the two mountains in the area of Samaria. So we can now begin to understand the antagonism and hatred between the Samaritans and Jews, which is important in understanding both these stories of the Samaritan woman and the Good Samaritan. Indeed, at the time of Jesus, the strength of this ill feeling and animosity had resulted in them not being in contact with each other. An example is that for the Jews, rather than going through Samaritan territory when traveling to Jerusalem from Galilee, they actually took a 70-mile detour, which would have taken quite a long time, just to avoid risking a meeting with a Samaritan. And so it's interesting that Jesus himself used that setting, that detour route for the story of the Good Samaritan. Makes so much more sense. There are scholarly debates about whether the Samaritan towns of Shechem and Sychar are the same place. But certainly Shechem was a significant place in the Old Testament. Indeed, once the capital of Israel. But it was also particularly significant for Abraham and his family and, of course, Jacob. And what is clear is that there is still today a well. It's about 135 feet deep and the water is still drinkable and said to be good. So if you ever go to Samaria possibly look that one up. In fact, it's probably one of the most accurately placed uh, historic places in the, in the Holy Land. So, the encounter at the well begins. And Jesus arrives hot, tired, weary and thirsty at 12 noon. And as you know, that's the heat of the day. And the disciples have gone off to get some food. But what is strange from the outset is that uh, two things. One, that fetching of water would normally be carried out by servants, and certainly not at this time of day. So this woman appears to not want to interact with others or didn't want to meet other women. And of course we know why. What is also strange is that Jesus strikes right through all the social norms the social norms of convention, of etiquette, and racism. It was customary, for example, for only wives to talk to their men in public. And yet Jesus engages with a Samaritan woman. A man 
to a woman, a Jew to a Samaritan. And they embark on what appears to be a very peculiar conversation. So I'm not going to delve into the depths of that, except just to analyze some of uh, the behavior behind the dialogue. And it helps us to understand things a bit. Jesus makes his request of the woman. And she replies with a cold shoulder, with indifference. She doesn't want to be troubled. And then Jesus makes a statement with a slight rebuke. And then the woman replies very skeptically. She said, are you greater than Jacob, our forefathers? And then Jesus makes her an offer. But the woman responds flippantly. And then Jesus issues a direct challenge. Which interestingly she replies with a half truth. I have no husband. Jesus accuses her of the half truth and reveals the full truth. And then the oldest trick in the book. She raises a theological or a controversial religious uh, issue. And then we see Jesus make his claim over her. But the woman tries to procrastinate. And what is simply going on here, I think, if we look at that behavior, is that the woman is trying to duck and dive, to dodge, having to face up to the things Jesus was saying. She is trying to close down the conversation at each point. But Jesus is gently pushing further and further and deeper in, in, until, she, until she can see the reality of her situation before God and her needs. And in the narrative we have, it's not difficult to surmise that this woman was trying to fill her life with things that would never fully satisfy her. She sought clearly to fill her needs in her relationships with men and appears to be constantly looking for that perfect relationship. And that's a human situation that I think in her heart and in ours, we can face. And if we face that honestly, it's the truth that there is a longing which is inconsolable without the living water that Jesus talked about. Since the fall in the Garden of Eden, our human lives are not what they should be or designed to be. We were stripped of that spiritual dimension of lives lived in perfect relationship with our Creator. And it's not hard to see, even 
um, non-believers. Blaise Pascal, a philosopher, describes that situation as this. What does all this restlessness and helplessness indicate except that people were once in true happiness which has now left them? And he's speaking of the Garden of Eden. So that they vainly search but can find nothing to help them other than to see an infinite abyss that can only be filled by the one who is infinite and eternal. It is the spiritual longing that the woman seeks to fulfill in her own way and to whom Jesus offers complete and ongoing satisfaction through his offer of living water. Water that's not just static or stagnant from a well, but water that comes from a spring, living, bubbling, invigorating and quenching. Indeed, this living water Jesus was offering to this lady was a foretaste of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is revealing his ultimate purposes in coming to this world, this glory that John writes about, to reclaim, to redeem, to restore and recreate people into the people God designed us to be. That living water, God's Holy Spirit, is available to us to drink and partake of today. A living water that reaches into our hearts, into our minds, into our bodies and spirit and makes us whole and complete. And before we leave this story, I thought it right just to focus on the woman's behavior because I think there's elements of her behavior that we can relate to. How do we respond when Jesus talks to us and asks us to do things? Do we react with a cold shoulder or even indifference? Are we possibly skeptic? Really? Really, Lord? Maybe flippancy? Oh, no. Half-truths? Do we take dogmatic positions using some theological controversy or religious church behavior? That can sit quite heavy. Well, probably the one that speaks to me most is procrastination. Putting things off for another time. Not now. Do we say that to Jesus? Not now. It's important to realize that there is no place to hide, duck or dive. We delude ourselves if we think that God doesn't see all and knows all. So we do need to face this reality and not with any fear. Jesus gently dealt with this woman. He challenged, yes, but not with condemnation. 
He made demands of her. But it was her decision, as it is ours. Well, how did it end? Didn't have that in our story, do we? Next week, come and hear. I'll give you a clue. And without pinching too much from what Laurie will say next week, because he's thinking about the disciples' reaction, which again is another interesting study. We are told that this woman did respond. We don't know how precisely, but using her testimony, she evangelized that town and brought many to Jesus. This passage has much to teach us, and you probably realize I've not touched on many of the aspects of this story, but I did feel that the Lord didn't want us to go there today. I felt he wanted us to focus on engaging with him and thinking about receiving that living water that is on offer. And as I was thinking about living water, I was drawn to um, the fact that this living water is unending. It goes on and on and on. And it goes on into eternity. And I was reminded of some verses in Revelation which speak of this living water. And it's at the point where John describes the wrapping up of this world where he talks about the new heaven, the new earth, the new Jerusalem and in fact Eden restored. We find these verses. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. And even into the last chapter of Revelation, then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life. So the tree of life spanned the river and water of life. And then almost at the end, the spirit and the bride say this. They say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift come. That free gift of the water of life. And I believe that is what the Lord wants to say to us today. It's his invitation for us And he makes it to you. Whether you're spiritually dry, need a long good drink, whether you need a top up, whether you need to stop resisting and do what Jesus wants, whether you need Jesus' healing and restorative touch, the offer is to come, receive and drink of the Holy Spirit. We have a well here. 
So at the end of the service, do come. Come and take this opportunity to meet with Jesus. Amen.